Our scripture reading this morning will be from 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6 through 18. If you don't have your Bible with you or if you're visiting with us, you're welcome to use the Bibles that are in the pew in front of you and turn to page 1058. Again, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6 through 18. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being with us this morning. It encourages us that you're starting off the new year in this way, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Happy New Year. We hope that everyone is off to a great start. I, I love the various comments I heard even uh, Wednesday as we gathered here. Uh, many of you heard one of uh, our members say uh, Wednesday evening that, that he and his family had made a decision that they were going to be here every Wednesday night and every Sunday and that a part of their New Year's resolution was to be on time. And I know our elders spend some time talking about that and concerned about that. Uh, it would be great if everyone placed the worship and Bible study of God as a highest priority. Uh, many of us can arrive, seems like everywhere else on time, except sometimes not worship in Bible class. And it just kind of puts priorities in perspective. But it's neat to hear someone say, that's a resolution that we made. We're going to be here and it's a high priority. Also, someone else said that, that they decided to talk more out in the community about the Lord. And that's awesome. That day they invited a waitress and she said that she was looking for a church home and that she would be here. And we hope that you are here. And uh, we're glad that, that you are here. And, uh, but we're also thankful that, that we have a whole church family that's evaluating their life and is saying, what more can I be in the Lord's service? What good can I do uh, with my life? And so I just say that to say that I hope you've been giving some thought these past few days too. Uh, how are you going to grow this year? And let's make sure that we're on the right track. And then let's make sure that we're on a track of growth in that. If you will, and you're sitting on the edge of the pew, you'll notice that you have two things beside you. You have one that's a long strip that actually folds up into a 
calendar, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. And if you'll take one and pass them down, and when they get down to the end, if you'll just put them back on the end for the next service. But then also you'll see a bookmark, and it's entitled Kingdoms 2014. We appreciate Tim Martin, uh, education minister, and the great good that he does in our Bible classes, but also encouraging us beyond Bible class time to read and study God's Word. You also know if you've been a part of the Mount Juliet congregation for a while that the elders really encourage us to be about daily Bible studying. Here's a Bible study guide if you wanted to read some passages for the week. And it will take you through the Old Testament kingdom, the children of Israel, and then the reading towards the last part of the year will take you into the kingdom of Christ, which on this earth is the church. And so it's a wonderful study. That's why the word kingdom is plural. Uh, and you'll study those kingdoms uh, throughout the year. Now, I know oftentimes individuals say, well, you know, I read and I just can't understand the Bible. On Wednesday nights, there, are, there is a class that will go over these readings for the week. And so what you could do is you could read the readings the first part of the week, come on Wednesday night and study that passage together, then go back and read it again after you've studied it together. And odds are you're going to be able to say, you know, I used to didn't understand the Bible when I read it, but now I'm starting to understand it. The Bible was never meant just to be read. It was meant to be studied. And so we want to give you the opportunity to do that. Also note that that class this past year has been meeting here in the auditorium, but in 2014, it's going to be meeting in room 204 uh, upstairs. And so uh, make note of that, and if that class interests you, be sure and be a part of that class. Also, you'll notice that there is uh, a strip that if you properly fold it, it just really lines up really nice. If you fold it, leaving the Mount Juliet Church of Christ as the outside panel, it folds up into just a neat wallet size fold, and that's your calendar. If you get it off a little bit, it shifts and kind of gets wider than a wallet size. Uh, but you will notice there are a lot of dates on here that are in bold that are not more important than other dates. It's just that they generally involve more people. Uh, most of the dates that we think of that are church-wide, they involve, obviously, most of you. And so what we hope you'll do is we hope you'll align your personal agenda and calendar with these events uh, based on ministries that you're involved in or activities that you're involved in, or especially the ones that are in bold uh, based on the work that the church here is involved in. And uh, you'll also notice when you open the calendar, the very first panel is Kingdom Living. And we will talk about that a little bit more uh, this morning, but that definitely uh, is our theme for 2014. And 13, Soul Focus. And we've been spending that whole last year thinking about the most important aspect of our being, our soul. And now this year we'll think about kingdom living, who is going to rule and to reign our lives. Also, if I can mention just a few more things to you that are very important. On the calendar, you'll see that in January, just this coming weekend, Friday and Saturday evening, there's a leadership retreat that's for the elders, deacons, and ministers. And uh, that's an important time for us. It always is, and this year is very important. There'll be uh, a lot of uh, study that will take place about kingdom living, and there will be uh, think tanks and plans that will be made specifically for some things in 14 and even beyond 14 uh, will be talked about. And so what we want is we want to ask everybody that's a part of this congregation to be praying for our leaders 
and to be praying for this weekend that it can be productive and we give God all the glory to that. We want to serve in the way that would lift the kingdom high. All right, are you listening? Tonight, evening service is going to turn into an afternoon service because of weather. We will be meeting at five o'clock this afternoon. Five o'clock this afternoon. There will be no 6 p.m. service here this afternoon or evening. So please, if you will, uh, you look around, you know your friends or family that may be out of town driving back in or they may not be here. Please help us get the word out about that. Because of that, that makes a conflict of young soldiers, young ladies serving Christ. So that will be canceled today. Young soldiers, young ladies serving Christ will be canceled today. The good old youth group supper uh, that so many are excited about. That's going to be postponed for one week. So it will not take place this evening uh, because of uh, the thought that weather may be bad, at least by the time that that would be over. And then also, uh, as I mentioned this, there's just going to be a scrolling of a few pictures. You remember that the typhoon that we sent relief aid uh, through a monetary gifts to uh, the Philippines, there has been uh, a wonderful report back from Audie Cherry. And Audie is uh, a young missionary that took uh, $1,500 that we collected and gave to him to take over. And uh, it was wonderful, the two villages that he went into, he worked with, uh, with the Churches of Christ in those communities. One, they gathered together bags and they made, they put rice in them. They put what they call slippers. We would call flip-flops in them. They put meat in them. Uh, and then also other necessities for cleaning and for food uh, they put in them. Uh, in one community, they were, in one congregation, they were able to buy supplies that members of the church needed. Several members of the church still had homes that were not dry and it's the rainy season right now. And so it was able, we were able to buy supplies to help dry in their homes. And also one of the villages that he went to still does not have electricity in it. And less than a month before the typhoon, they had one of the worst earthquakes that they had had uh, in many, many years. And so uh, there's still a lot of recovery to do there. There's still houses that are not dry. Uh, there are still people whose lives are very, very dishuffled. And so uh, continue to pray for them. Uh, that was one of the things that, that he said in the report. I'll just read this last line or two. He says, the need is still very great. When we were here, uh, there, it was over just one, just a little more than one month after the typhoon, uh, Yolanda hit, and there were still bodies in the streets. And he said a little bit more and he said, uh, but we're thankful for the family of God. Thank you goes to the Mount Juliet congregation. And he said that with an exclamation mark. And so uh, we're thankful uh, that, that the Lord's church is receiving glory. Uh, we're thankful that God will be lifted up uh, through this. And we're mindful uh, that there's still a lot to do. And so let's be prayerful and supportive of that in every way that we can. You know, there are many that just are not satisfied with the norm. And in sports, we call that extreme sports. And when we think about the wintertime and some of the extreme sports, the snow kayaking is kind of a super, uh, extreme sport. The snow kiting is, is an extreme sport where the snowboard and the kite is mixed together. The snow cross is, is extreme. And if you lifts just don't take you where you need, you can hella ski and just come straight out of the chopper. You know, you look at that and there's some in this room that, 
that, that appeals to you because maybe you're adventurous and athletic and there's others that that really doesn't appeal to you uh, for whatever reason. But here's what I want to make the appeal to you. We're going to talk all year this year about kingdom living. And what you and I must come to grips with the reality is that there is nothing norm about kingdom living. Kingdom living every day pushes us away from our own fleshly norms. Kingdom living challenges us because there's so much to do in the Lord's kingdom. The calling is so great. The standard is so high. The work, the volume of work is so available for us to fulfill. And so we'll think about it a lot as individuals. We'll think about it a lot as a congregation in Mount Juliet. But we'll also think about it as the Lord's kingdom reaching a world around us. And so what I want to challenge you to do is, is especially as we start a new year, what is it that you might think that's a little bit extreme for me? But the question is not, should you do it? The question is, is it right? If it is the right thing to do, don't ask then the question, should I do it? If it's the right thing to do, do it. Kingdom living is beautiful. It's so different from worldly, fleshly living. I think about the many times in Scripture. And before we go back to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, the text that was capably read a few moments ago, if you want to turn in your Bible, I want to read one passage to you between Pilate and Jesus in John the 18th chapter. You remember Jesus is under arrest and Pilate is going out and he's talking to the Jews as they're trying to set Jesus up as working against the Roman Empire because after all, what was Jesus hailed as? King of the Jews. And so they're trying to get Jesus crucified. So one of the methods that they're trying to use is, is to say to Pilate, hey, this guy says that he's king. Other people are saying that he's king. That's going to work against Caesar. You, you need to do something about this guy. And so he would go out and he would talk to the Jews and then he would go back in in private. And he would say, who are you? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus wants some clarity. He says, are you asking that question for your own sake or has someone told you to ask that question? Well, now think about it. And this is real important as we study kingdom is authority. Pilate, he kind of ruffles his, his feathers up on that. It's kind of like, whoa, I'm the one in charge here. See, he thought in this situation, he had higher authority than Jesus. And it's kind of like, we're, we're not going to go this round. And so there in verse 35, notice what he says. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? You see, in other words, he's like, wait a minute. You're brought in here under arrest. I'm asking you questions. And maybe what Pilate was implying was, I'm trying to help you. And now you're going to twist questions back on me. He says, look, I don't know all the inner workings of the Jews. All I know is you're a Jew and it was your own people that brought you in here. How do you like that last question? What have you done? And isn't it interesting the very next sentence is Jesus' answer, or a portion of it. My kingdom is not of this world. Let's pause there for just a moment. Listen, Pilate, if you're going to try to understand what king I am, and you're going to try to understand what my kingdom would look like, you're going to have to think unlike any kingdom you've seen. 
You've seen kingdoms with a man who serves as an earthly king and he has an earthly territory and he fights and he protects that territory and he leads those citizens. You need to understand, my kingdom's not of this world. It's not of that realm. As a matter of fact, if it was physical and if it was earthly, now let's look at the very next phrase. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. We see here though, his kingdom nevertheless exists and exists with great power. His kingdom is going to be made up, not of people that grab up swords and say, we're going to claim a particular territory. But His kingdom is made up of people with focus, with discipline, with courage. With people that are looking beyond this life and beyond this world as something that's grand and spectacular in the spiritual sense. If you will, drop back with me now to the text in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. I'd like for you to think about Paul as he had devoted the last portion of his life to this kingdom. And now he finds himself, because of his stance in the kingdom, he would not sway, he would not give in, and he finds himself under arrest knowing that soon he will be executed for the kingdom's sake. And so he has this plea that he makes to Timothy to come. And to bring John Mark also. And we studied that last week. And remember, he wanted them to bring it because he says there's still much to do in ministry. In other words, the kingdom work must continue to go forward even though he was facing death. But I want to take your eyes back to 2 Timothy 4 and verse 16, where he says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook. Man, I'll be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me. Isn't it interesting here that we learn just some things implied here about the king and about the kingdom. The kingdom is the idea of authority or reign. When you say, what kingdom are you in? You're in whatever kingdom that you bow or submit yourself to. So if, if you live a worldly life, you're living by the world. So therefore, the, Satan is your king and the world is your kingdom. Or you could live for the Lord and you would allow him to have reign. Now, reign means authority and rule. You would allow him to have reign and authority in your life. And, and, and he will lead you in a spiritual kingdom and an eternal kingdom, not a fleshly and worldly kingdom. Now, note this. Paul says there was a time, and we scholars, no one knows exactly what time he's referring to here, but apparently there was a time that he was arrested. And when he was arrested, there would have been other Christians that Paul would have thought would have stood there and, and standing in their faith also. Now, Paul doesn't give us the details except to say, I stood alone. Everyone else forsook me. Now translate that kind of language over into kingdom talk. What does that mean? Paul's standing in the kingdom. Christ is ruling in his life. And then persecution comes. And people start to decipher and figure this out. I can stand here with Christ reigning my life and I'm going to be persecuted. 
I can leave Christ and I can stand over here in the world. And if I stand over here in the world, the world won't persecute me. You see, individuals apparently left the place in the kingdom where Christ would rule to go out into the world so that they would not be persecuted. And what did Paul do? And Paul said, I found myself standing alone. But then he clarifies that almost as if to say, now you understand when I mean standing alone, I mean that no other person stood with me. He says, the Lord stood with me. Who is our king? Our king is one who is always available. Our king is one who is always going to be standing. And the question is, will we stand with him? I need to recognize the fact that where I should stand will never be identified based on where everyone else is standing. That's important. Well, you know, there, there's a lot of religious people over here and they just seem like that they really are, are good people. Well, you know, over here is a lot of, of fleshly things going on and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm really drawn to these things. I really like this. Well, where are you going to stand? Well, I just like to stand with other good people. So that's how you're going to decide your spiritual life. I'm just going to look around and find good people and that's where I'm going to stand. Or I'm going to find people that are doing fleshly things that I enjoy to do and that's where I'm going to live my life. Please get this point, brethren. We find where to stand by finding where the king is. Once we find the king, we know where to stand. And so he wasn't going to stand with those that forsook. Think how easy that would have been. Oh, you, they're coming to arrest us? Y'all are going to give up on the Lord? Oh, y'all are running? Okay, y'all, you guys are running too? Oh, y'all are running too. Oh, let me make my decision. Should I stand alone with the Lord or should I go with all of you guys? Think how that decision was. Okay, imagine Paul. Okay, so if I stand with the Lord, all of you are going to forsake? You see, he didn't say... I'm going to make my decision based on what everybody else does. He made his decision based upon where the Lord was standing. This morning, I hope we realize that that's the right decision to make. We're about to go through three or four passages kind of quickly, and I want you to note this. Just because that's the right decision, we have to accept that most people are not going to agree with us on that. If I'm going to be a part of the Lord's kingdom, I'm going to follow the king, and I've got to get used to the fact that many will not agree with it. All right, let's, let's notice a few passages. Drop back to 1 Corinthians 1 and 22. We're just going to look at these to see the fact that most aren't going to agree. 1 Corinthians 1 and 22, Paul goes into Corinth and begins to preach Jesus Christ. Is everybody going to jump on board? No. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we 
preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. In other words, Paul says, I found myself going to the Jews and all they wanted was more proof, more proof, more proof. He said, I went over here to the Gentiles and you know what they wanted? You got any other more later day philosophy? We'd like to hear something new. And he said, you know what we did? We stood with Christ and we preached Christ crucified. Paul, why didn't you try to tickle the ears of the Jews a little more? If you want a sign, why didn't you make up a sign? Oh, you want something new. Why didn't you make up some kind of philosophy? Think about this, brethren. I know it's simple, but think about this. Paul says, we only have one place to stand. Where is it? With Christ, him crucified and him resurrected. The reign is with Christ. I'm not going to go and let the Jews reign my life. I'm not going to let the Gentiles reign in my life. I'm going to let the Lord reign in my life. Well, what if it's a stumbling block to others? What if it's offensive to others? I'm going to stay here. Now you say, how hard was that to accept? Let's look at an example. Go over to Acts, the 17th chapter. You remember, this is where Paul goes in to Athens. And as he goes in, he meets people that do not know the Almighty God. And so he does a powerful, wonderful job of introducing God to them. And at the end of the sermon, he says in verse 30 that they ought to repent. And in verse 31, he tells them that there's a day of judgment coming where they're going to be judged, Acts 17. And notice what he says at the end of 30. There's a sentence at the end, I'm sorry, of 31. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him, talking about Jesus, from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Paul goes in and he preaches this beautiful story about God being the creator. And he preaches about Jesus Christ and about Jesus coming to this earth and him loving so much that he died for mankind and that God resurrected him. And, and all I'm trying to do in, in this point by saying this is, I think a lot of us as Christians say, you know, if we just present this beautiful story of God and sending Jesus, people are just going to embrace it and they're going to love it. And you know what the Bible says? No. There are going to be people after you say that, they're going to mock you. There were only a few that said, we'll hear you again on this. And the others mocked him. What would that sound like? <laughs> you don't really believe that. You don't really believe that there's a God who sent his son and that he died and then he came back to life. When's the last time you've seen somebody come back to life? You don't believe that. You're a foolish man. Listen, I don't know exactly what it sounds like in your life, at work or at home, in the community. But I know this. You and I must realize that if we're going to make the decision to allow Christ to be the king in our life, we must make that decision separate and apart from what everybody else thinks. Because people believe it or because they do not believe it doesn't change the fact that we ought to allow Christ to be the king in our life. And then we're going to have to start wrapping this up, but there's one more I want you to see. Turn with me, Will, to Colossians, the first chapter. This is so important. Colossians, the first chapter, verse 13. 
Paul has been talking about how thankful he is. Obviously, you see this is the first chapter, the beginning of the book of Colossians. He's so thankful for the people of Colossae, for their faith that they've had, for the growth of their faith. And so he's in the middle of talking about that when we get to verse 13. And he's talking about what's happened in their lives. And here's how he describes what's happened. He's talking about what God has done through Christ. In Colossians 1 and 13, he says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into what? The kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. So notice here at the first part of verse 13, he says he's delivered us from what? The power of darkness. I need to realize that there is a very real spiritual world that you and I live in right now. If you took away everything physical, what would you have left? On this earth as we know it, Real quickly, we can say, all of us have a soul. There'd be no flesh and blood here, but all of us would be a soul. And the other thing we'd have would be the Word of God because it's eternal. I don't know what form it would be presented, but we'd have the Word of God. It's eternal. And now you wouldn't have the pew. You wouldn't have this facility. You wouldn't have earth underneath you. All those things are temporal. So if everything temporal and fleshly were taken away, Someone says, well, there's not really anything left. You want one to think on this afternoon or tonight? Think on this. There's still kingdoms left. There's all kind of evil power that it exists in the spiritual realm. And there's still God and a heavenly host and all kind of eternal creation that we haven't seen that exist in the spiritual realm. And we are fools. If we think that everything that was destroyed right now, physically, there would be nothing left, I'd venture to say you and I will gasp when we realize what's taking a place around us and how big it is, how broad it is, how active it is. He's referring to those things when he says, you are in the power of darkness, but yet you've been delivered from it. But did you notice that? It, that next phrase in verse 13 when he said, and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son. Conveyed is the idea of removed, taken out. Now, if you read that in the passage as in, you're like, you sure that's what that word means? It is what that word means. And you see what he's doing here is he's placing an emphasis on that the only way we can get out of the world is we can't make it alone. We have to get someone to translate us out. We have to get someone to convey us out. And so what he's saying here, he's putting the emphasis on this. Jesus Christ is the only one that can come in and rescue you from this spiritual darkness and this world around. Have you ever tried to turn things around on your own and failed? Of course you have failed if you tried to turn it around on your own. The only way we can escape this world is that we have to have someone deliver us. I want you to think about a prisoner of war, that the only way that prisoner of war is going to come out and to come home is someone's going to go get them. We are in a spiritual darkness you don't have the power to get out of this alone. God sent Jesus to deliver us from this prison. He sent Jesus to convey, in other words, get us out into the kingdom of his son of love. 
Brethren, that's beautiful. And so we close this lesson with verse 18. That kingdom we see also is referred to in the same analogy here, same teaching as the church in verse 18. And I'm not saying the word kingdom is always, uh, the, the, always speaking about the church, but look at 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. I remember several years ago, I preached my heart out all day long on preeminence of Christ and two or three of you came up the following week and said, I have no idea what preeminence means. Preeminence is rank of the highest place. If we have been brought out of the world and into Christ, into his kingdom, the only way that takes place is for us to say and to live, Christ is the highest rank in my life. You can't have two highest ranks. Right now, we're going to have one box. You have to put in that box one thing that you're going to put as highest priority in your life. One thing. Now, if we're going through an exercise like a class setting, I know what many of you would say. Many of you would say, can, can I put two things in there? And then you'd say, you see, to me, it's God and my family is the most important things. And I'd like to put two in the box. You can't put two in the box. You can't let your family reign and Christ reign. There's only one that is the most important thing in your life. There's people that they exalt their children and they let their children be their God. Their children reigns their life. There are people that let their career reign their life. Their career is the most important. Whatever they need to do to get the promotion, they'll do it. There's people that let their, their material possessions reign their life. Whatever they need to do to, to get the boat, to get the, the, the vacation home, to get, you just fill it in. Listen, I'm just asking you this morning, have you allowed Christ to have the preeminence in your life? It's not going to be something that the world all around in majority are going to say, that's a great way to live. They're going to say, that's a stumbling block. I need something, some other proof in my life. I'm not saying to you, check around with your family. Say to your spouse, say to your children, say to your brother or sister, hey, are you guys in on this? I'm thinking about letting Jesus be preeminent in my life. And if you guys say it's good, I'm going to do it. Christ in preeminent if you're saying that. If you're saying that, your family's still preeminent. The point I'm trying to get you to see is, Paul said, I stood with the king. No one else stood with the king. They made a decision to say, we're not standing with the king. Paul said, I stood with him. That's all I'm asking you this morning. One thing goes in the box. What's the one thing? And when we can say it's Christ, it doesn't matter what comes through our life. It doesn't matter what storms blow. It doesn't matter who comes and stands with us or who abandons us. We can honestly say, the Lord is king of my life. This morning, if the Lord is not king of your life, we're going to sing a song of encouragement. And we would encourage you to do that because there's nothing else that matters. That is the most important by far. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ or if you're ready to be restored, we hope that all of us will leave here today living for the kingdom of God.